Hi everyone, it's Bill Black, the Exit Coach from the Exit Coach Radio Show. You know, one of the biggest questions I get on the show is what exactly goes into a business exit plan and when should I start creating mine? Well, I always tell people that the best time to start was five years ago, but the next best time is now because you never know when you might need it. So we put together a free report that describes what an exit plan is and what you should know. You can get it free by texting EXIT PLAN with no spaces to 44222. That's EXIT PLAN to 44222. Again, text EXIT PLAN to 44222. Welcome to the Exit Coach Radio Show, the show for baby boomer business owners who are looking for cutting-edge information as they plan their 3- to 10-year business succession and exit. Every week, we interview top professional advisors for their best tips, strategies, and precautions so you can be well-planned. And don't miss our one-minute Exit Coach tip of the day on ExitCoachRadio.com. And now, here's your host, the Exit Coach, Bill Black. Well, hello, everyone. Thanks so much for joining me today. Once again, uh, I'm happy to have you with me and uh, hope that you enjoy our interviews today. You know, let me ask you a question. You, you scrimp, you save, you, you run a business, um, you hire employees, you, you pay everybody everything. At the end of the day, somehow you manage to build up uh, an estate. Uh, you ma- you manage to build up enough assets after the government's had their way with you that you now have something to protect. What are you doing to protect that, and is it enough? Well, those are some of the questions we're going to find out for today from my first guest, Craig Redler, from the Jeffrey M. Verdon Law Group. And, of course, the, the Jeffrey M. Verdon Law Group is no stranger to the show. Uh, Jeff's been on the show many times, talked about some interesting uh, tactics and strategies that you can employ to protect those assets you work so hard to accumulate. So I'm going to bring Craig, Craig on right now. Craig, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining me this morning. Good morning, Bill. Thanks for having me. <clears throat> Craig, my pleasure. Uh, you know, I, as I mentioned, uh, Jeff's been on the show before from the Jeffrey Vernon Law Group, and um, uh, I, I, he's told us uh, some of the different types of strategies, and I think we're going to dig into some more of those. But first, I think our listeners uh, would be interested to hear a little bit about you, about your background. Tell us about yourself. I have a, a pretty unique background, I, I think I'm comfortable saying. Um, I was practicing law in St. Louis, Missouri for about 20 years and had a pretty simple estate planning practice, uh, wills, trusts, probate, that sort of thing, just kind of routine stuff. And I uh, saw an opportunity to take a job with an a offshore trustee in the Cook Islands, a small chain of islands in the South Pacific. Sent him a letter. About three months later, I'm living on a tiny little island called Rarotonga, working for a trustee wow. that, that administers these asset protection trusts. So I stayed on this little island for about a year. And uh, they sent me over to um, Taranga, New Zealand to work in a new office over there that we had just opened. So I stayed in Taronga for about a year and had an opportunity to work for a bigger company in Auckland. So I jumped from the first company and then lived in Auckland for about three years. And um, through these various positions, I became acquainted with Jeff and moved back to the USA from Auckland, New Zealand, just, just under a year ago, and uh, reacquainted with Jeff. And now I'm out here in Southern California writing the trusts I used to administer when I was over in the Cooks and in New Zealand. Well, you uh, you got that right, that that's an unusual path that you took, um, and an interesting one. I'm sure you have some great stories about migrating over to these to this little island. I think a lot of people, you know, we, we think about these asset protection havens like the Cook Islands or other places like Nevis, you know, just different places around the world, and we think, you know, it, it sounds like it's it's one big building 
that houses <laughs> all of these trusts surrounded by paradise. What, what is it really like over there? You, you know, I, I, that's one of the impressions that, that, that people get, that there are these ivory-towered um, granite, you know, granite buildings over there with all these banks. Or the other impression of these little islands is that they're just absolutely uh, um, primitive. And, and, and the truth is somewhere in between. It, it's, mm. you know, it's a little island. The island probably has less people living on it than the office building I'm, that are in this office building I'm sitting in right now. So it, so it is pretty small, but, but it, um, it has all the modern amenities. And then the buildings are, you know, if you were walking down, the, there's a, to the extent there's anything that resembles a city there, it's called Avarua. And if you're walking down a street, which basically it is a street in Avarua, it would be pretty unremarkable, but uh, you know the people that work mm-hmm. there are very professional, and they're not. I mean, I don't know what kind of impression people have of Polynesians, but they're 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 very professional, and they know what they're doing. It's a their the native uh, or the uh, language there is English, and and they follow English common law, and the court system would be familiar to most Americans, and the government's stable, and it's um it's perfectly legitimate. Yeah, of course. So, so one one of the big questions I think our listeners uh, might have, I, I hear this question all the time, is, okay, so then what's the big deal? Why does it have to be way down there, so far away? Uh, kind of illuminate uh, our listeners for a little bit. Why why is it important to have your assets if you're going to do some of these offshore type of trusts to protect your assets? Why is it such a big deal to be so far down there and so far away? There are two main reasons for that. Uh, primarily, the, the trust laws in the Cook Islands in particular and some of the other jurisdictions, um, one of which you mentioned, Nevis, and, and some of the other ones, are, are specifically written for this purpose. So they are perfectly tailored for what our clients are trying to achieve. They're, they're very debtor-friendly. Uh, and again, we're not suggesting that you don't pay your debts, that you, you or don't pay your creditors when you set one of these things up. But what, what, what they do is they encourage settlement. They, they, they eliminate the probability or even possibility of runaway jury verdicts and things like that. And, and I can say from working as a trustee, I, I've actually seen these things work over and over. And I've seen uh, uh, it's the, the laws of the jurisdiction just encourage settlement, and they, they get our clients what, what they're looking for. And, and that's primarily it. The secondarily is, is just diversification. Most Americans are under the impression that, that U.S. banks and U.S. financial institutions are, are, are just solid and, and beyond reproach. And as we saw in 2008, they're just not. So setting up in a foreign jurisdiction can give you access to banks and financial institutions that you may or may not have ready, ready access to here, and some of which are more financially solid than you're going to find here. Now, banks in Switzerland, banks in Hong Kong, banks in uh, 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 any number of other places really are, are superior in a lot of ways to American banks, for better or for worse. So, so what's the other uh, obstacle, uh, that, that the, the truth about the other obstacle I've heard, which is that if you have your assets placed in trusts in islands like such as you're talking about, the that uh, they don't uh, an attorney uh, that's uh, for for the person that might be suing you, uh, trying to attack you, uh, can't just phone it in. They have to uh, physically. Is it true they have to physically go down and and file a suit in the which which is another obstacle again to slow things down a little bit. Is, oh, is it true that they have so. to? Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Yeah, no, that that's, again, going back to what I said earlier about the laws being favorable. The laws in the Cook Islands in particular, under the, the Cook Island law, they just flat do not recognize foreign judgments from anywhere. So if you were to show up in the Cook Islands with a judgment from an American bank or, a Can- or from an American court or a Canadian court or a European court, they, they would just disregard it. So really the only way to, to access funds that are held in one of these trusts is is to, like you said, file a suit in the Cook Islands or wherever you have the, the entity set up, assuming the, the laws follow this track, uh, and you have to allege fraudulent transfer. So you, you're, you're not even going to file your underlying claim there. You're going you're gonna to have to go get a judgment here first, then you're you know, wherever you're filing your suit, and then go over there and demonstrate to the court. And by the way, the fraudulent transfer law there is considerably more difficult to navigate than most of the ones you're going to see here. So you, you, you have to go over there and show that assets were placed in the trust specifically. And by the way, the, the standard is beyond reasonable doubt. It's the same standard we use for criminal cases here, which is the highest burden of proof for a plaintiff. You have to show beyond reasonable doubt that the assets were placed in trust specifically to defraud you, not, not creditors in general, but, but you as a particular creditor. So, I, you know, again, I, I did litigation work for, for several years before I got into estate planning. And, and without some kind of smoking gun, I really don't even know how you could do that. But, but beyond that, the, the statute's limitations for doing that are very, very short. So, again, mm-hmm. just sort of fell this way. But before you could even get over there, before you could get over to the Cook Islands, which isn't an easy place to get, by the way, uh, mm-hmm. you, you, you have to... Uh, get a judgment here, and by the time you do that, typically the statute of limitations for, for approving fraudulent transfer is going to have run anyway. So it's, it's really, really difficult maze to kind of find your way through if you're really trying to attack one of these things. And, and as you mentioned, so the, the key to some of this stuff is, is not to, uh, it's not tax motivated, it's, it's just basically to put, to put some of your stuff in a place uh, that is not easy to get to, has friendly laws to debtors, as you mentioned, and also uh, just uh, requires extra steps to where if you're the attorney that's suing that individual that has all this put together, you're looking at that and saying, wow, this is going to be difficult and expensive, right? Yes, <laughs> exactly. And, and there, there are only a few attorneys on the island. Actually, it's funny, when I was there, there was an election, and I think three attorneys were running for parliament at, at the time, and there was actually an a editorial in one of the newspapers that they were going to have a shortage of attorneys if they, if they all won. So it, it's difficult to find a lawyer over there, and typically when, when uh, clients do, or uh, uh, plaintiffs and, and creditors try and do this, they have to go to New Zealand to get a lawyer. And so you're going to have to pay a guy from New Zealand to come over to the Cook Islands, and you're giving him a tropical vacation, basically with the, the likelihood of him succeeding being very small. So you, you see very quickly from the point of view of a plaintiff, your best strategy is to settle. Got it. Well, that you just uh, clarified things that I hear a lot of questions about. I really appreciate that. And I know you know that one of the things that, that separates what the Jefford Verdon Law Group does from other estate planning law firms is you have a specialty and expertise as a firm in these particular types of strategies. And you know, Craig, a lot of our listeners are business owners, baby boomers, that are saying, someday uh, my very complicated business asset is going to be sold, in, and it's going to be sold for a very easy-to-attack asset like cash. And uh, I need to probably do something so that I don't get attacked. Um, 
tell tell me tell our listeners if you could talk to that point you know why is it important to do asset protection like this in this day and age uh, it, it's critical and i think it fits very well with what what you know the theme of this show it's amazing and i've seen this again as a trustee and i saw it when i was when i was a litigation attorney it, it when people sell their businesses a couple things happen, and what, what you just said is, is certainly the first consideration. All of a sudden, you've got all this cash, which is which is very easy to access by by anybody. If you go out and just have a, a car accident, it's it's there and it's vulnerable. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, I, I think it's not uncommon when you sell a business. A real high percentage of the the buyers come back later with complaints and and. File mm-hmm. suits. You know, I did my due diligence, and the the financials you provided me were wrong. You know, never mind the fact I started the business. I've been running the business for twenty years. Of course, I'm going to run it better than someone who who steps in later. Uh, that you know, that aside, they they point the finger at the seller and and come back looking for compensation or or remuneration for uh, you know later down the line. So it it really is an excellent time to to think about setting one of these things up. And, and again, to the theme of, of exiting your business, this is something that, that we, we say around here a lot, you can do estate planning and, and you can do all this beautiful planning and, and, and do a wonderful trust and make sure that your assets pass without having to deal with probate and all the things that most people are, are looking at when they do estate planning. But none of that does you any good if you don't have an estate left when, you, when it comes time to, to retire or when you pass away. So when, when you work with us, our primary goal is to make sure that you always have an estate. Good point. You know, so, so you, something to consider, listeners, you think about uh, what Craig is saying here is that uh, maybe you're fighting the wrong enemy when you do, you know, when you do your estate planning, you're fighting basically the IRS and the, the transfer system that's been set up that makes it difficult for, uh, I've had this happen for a widow, for instance, to sell a business um, without going through probate after after her uh, husband dies who owns a business. Um, there has to be title clearing and all those types of things. Those are That's what estate planning fights. This is really saying... Those assets that you that you have from that sale are now subject to attack, and it's time to basically think about ways to slow down that attack to build. Uh, I hate to use the analogy, but build walls around that um, that those assets, Craig, and and that's what you guys do. So, and, and you know, we've heard you know some people say, well, you know what, you really don't have to go offshore for that, but why go offshore? Why why would people consider? Is there a certain level of assets that they get to, or is it is it because there are more uh, risks and and they really need to think about going offshore? Two two big reasons for that, and, and we do do some domestic asset protection for clients who aren't comfortable going offshore. And and look, <coughs> excuse me, I, I I can tell you, you know, I worked at a trust company. I am the face of that trust company. I know it's 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 difficult for some people to. Put faith in a in a trustee in a on a, on a, you know, in a remote lo- location, somebody they don't know. But uh, you know, so if someone can't get over that hurdle, we we do do some domestic planning. But at the end of the day, it's inferior, and, and it's inferior for a couple reasons. One, going back to what I said earlier, the laws in places like the Cook Islands are brilliantly crafted to do what they do. Now there there are a couple states that have tried to emulate them somewhat, and most people know them. The usual suspects: it's South Dakota, it's Wyoming, it's Nevada, it's Alaska, it's Delaware. 
ultimately the problem with doing domestic asset protection planning is 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 twofold one is full faith and credit in the constitution that is to say if you get a judgment in one state all the other states are obliged under the u.s constitution to recognize it so mm-hmm. if you're a california resident and i get a judgment against you in california and you have your trust set up in nevada and i show up in nevada with my california judgment it is quite possible the Nevada court is is going to honor that judgment without asking much question. California doesn't recognize self-settled spendthrift trust, which ultimately is is what these things are, uh, where Nevada does. So the Nevada court has to honor the California judgment. The the other issue is federal supremacy. Any suit that involves a a federal claim is going to be, you know, a federal court is going to summarily ignore a – a state asset protection trust, and then there's bankruptcy. Under the bankruptcy law, uh, the, the bankruptcy courts can claw back assets that you funded into a trust for up to 10 years. So, again, you're offshore. Once your assets are offshore, they're offshore. They're not subject to being clawed back in bankruptcy into a bankruptcy estate. So, it really, it just comes down to those two issues as much as anything. Yeah, and you're you're explaining it perfectly clearly. It makes a lot of sense. You know, one last question here I have for you this morning is uh, we hear a lot about um, the IRS getting involved with things offshore. Are we are we just are we wrong to associate the fact that the IRS doesn't like things offshore? Or tell yes. us a little bit about <laughs> you're that. wrong. Okay, uh, Good. the IRS actually prints forms specifically designed. We're not <laughs> excuse me. We're not trying to hide assets. From the IRS, when you set up an offshore entity, you're still going to pay your taxes, just like they're here or anywhere else. And as long as you tell the IRS it's out there and you pay your taxes, they don't care. These things have never, in my experience, triggered an audit by virtue of their mere existence. And if the IRS didn't want you doing it, they wouldn't print regulations and forms that allow you to do it. (laughs) Right, right. Makes sense, right. Right. So, Craig, you explained all of this beautifully. Now, what's a first step for a listener who might be saying, you know, I I'm I, I want to talk more. I want to learn more about this. Um, how how, what, how do they start with you and, and the Jefferson Law Firm, Craig? Um, if you give us a call, we'll we'll have a, a short phone consultation and just ask you some brief questions and and just tell you what we do a little bit and and make sure that uh, you're in a position where we can help you. And if it looks like it's uh, something you're still interested in, then we go ahead and have you come in. Um, we've got a web. <coughs> excuse me, I'm sorry, I got a bit of a cold. Uh, we've got a website with some really, really good preliminary information, and there's even a little quiz on the website that you can get a feel for just how exposed you may or may not be. Um, so that's jmvlaw.com if you want to check that. But but really, it starts with a phone call. Give me a call. Give give Jeff a call. And we're happy to chat with you and, and uh, see if we could do business together. Uh, tell us the best number to call for that. The, 949, we're in Newport Beach, 949 949-333-8149, 949-333-8149 in, in Newport Beach. Thanks for repeating that. So also, again, uh, jmvlaw.com. Um, Craig, uh, again, I've known uh, Jeff for many years, and uh, uh, the the firm does incredibly great work, great reputation in the area, and uh, you've really uh, lent another facet of clarity 
for, and answered a lot of questions that only someone who's spent as interesting a life as you uh, <laughs> could could uh, could know these things firsthand, and it really helps um, p- people who are concerned about whether they should be doing these uh, strategies. Uh, you know, find out more about that. So, thank you so uh, much for joining me today, and I think we I think you should come on again so we can dig into some more uh, strategies at some point. Uh, happy to. Thank you for listening to Exit Coach Radio. 